You're listening to the 52-story series on the Do Life Different podcast by 1128 Community Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. 2024 is all about sharing the stories of people who call 1128 their home. You'll hear stories of doubt, hurt, and pain. You'll hear about faith being deconstructed and then reconstructed. You'll hear about answered prayers, meaningful moments with Jesus, and hear about experiences that changed lives forever. If you'd like to connect with 1128, please visit us at 1128community.org or text the word podcast to 414-441-1128. We hope you connect with today's guests. All right, welcome back to the 52 Stories series in our Do Life Different podcast. Today, I'm joined by Brandon Buckovitz. And uh, Brandon, you're a resident right now, correct? Correct. Third year of residency in internal medicine at Aurora. Yeah. And uh, and we've known each other for, what, maybe a year and a half almost? Two years. Two years? Somewhere around there, yeah. Our kids were in 4K together and that's how we connected our families connected mm-hmm. um and and you've been coming to the church uh what, what would you say there a year and a half two years year there and a half, as well? two years yeah okay yeah so uh so today we're just gonna get started i'm gonna ask you this question i've been asking everybody uh what at, at what age or what's like your earliest memory where faith played a role in your life whether it's you know a parent bringing you to church, grandparent praying for you, something, what's the story? Where, where do you remember that being a, a part of your life? So I was really fortunate to uh, grow up in um, a family of believers. You know, my mom and dad were Christians, and I think the earliest memory I have as a kid was actually um, when we went on a trip to Chicago, of all okay. places, and um, one of the churches there just had a really robust children's program. And that's where, that's probably the earliest recollection I have of being in a church. And that's when I told my parents afterwards, like, that I felt I understood what it meant to give my heart to Jesus. And okay. that's when I gave my heart to Jesus. Okay. And and you said you took a trip to Chicago. Yes. Meaning you traveled there. Did you grow up yes. in the Milwaukee area? No, I grew up a couple hours north of here in Appleton. Okay. I was I, born in Minnesota, but then my parents moved to Appleton when I was like two. Okay. And so that's where I spent most of my life. What was it on that trip to Chicago? Do you remember? Like, was there a specific thing that happened or? Not that I can remember. Okay. It was a long time ago. I remember going to church uh, that morning. I remember singing uh, a couple children's songs. Um and then I remember afterwards telling my parents that I had given my life to Jesus Christ. Okay. So from that point on, like how did how did life change? Did you know what you were doing as a Christian? Like you're young, you you don't have like much behind you it sounds like at that point. What did it what did it look like? So again, I I was fortunate to have um parents who valued faith as mm-hmm. a part of uh, our journey and um, went to a private Christian school, Fox Valley Christian Academy, which is in Nina, okay. not too far from Appleton. Um, I would say I really made my faith my own and had a better understanding of what it meant to be a Christian somewhere around sixth grade. I had a um, really phenomenal teacher, Mr. Lisevich, okay, who uh, challenged us to read our Bible every single day. 
Um, and if we could do that 50 days in a row, he would take us out to McDonald's. Okay. And so, um, it was something that, you know, initially you do it because it's like, oh, cool. Like you get to have McDonald's, yeah, but then it became like a, a pattern. Exactly. <laughs> but then it became a pattern after that, um, where I continued to read my Bible every single day and I would journal okay. uh, every single day, things I was grateful for, passages I had read. Okay. Um, and I think that set a pattern for me to continue reading my Bible on a daily basis. Okay. How did that start to inform the way you lived? I think one of the things that I've always struggled with, Mike, is pride. Okay. Like, um, so you're, you're a normal person is what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, I always excelled really well in my studies, like looking further ahead in high school, like I was a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. Really? Like I was, yeah. Um, I was actually internationally competitive. I really? competed in uh, Greece, United Kingdom, wow. uh, Puerto Rico, Hawaii. Um, really? Yeah. Um, That's mind blowing to me. <laughs> you don't seem like the type of guy that would get like real amped up to be able to like, yeah, like compete in something that to me seems like very aggressive yeah. and almost like you got to have a little bit of anger. That's not, not so much that's what anger. It seems like to me, but that's that's that's, that's actually counterintuitive to okay. what martial arts. Is. It's a lot more about like self control and discipline. Really? Okay. What I'm getting Obviously, at with the whole I haven't thing. taken <laughs> any of those kind of things. Um, what I'm getting at though is like I excelled at like everything I did, and I think it kind of built up this like false sense of things that I perceived were in my control. Okay. Um, without recognizing that God was at the center of it. Yeah. And, um, I think having that daily prayer with God helped keep me maybe a little more humble than, uh, I would have otherwise because it was, it's always been a struggle. My pride still gets the best of me yeah. from time to time. Yeah. I have a lot of weaknesses. You can just ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So your wife could tell you all your weaknesses, could tell me all your weaknesses. Yes. And, uh, and so like, as you think through just your transition from, from from when you were young to where you are today and maybe working through the struggles with pride or other weaknesses um how's god shown up in different different parts in your story uh, just as you navigate the last what 20 years yeah 25 years yeah so um i actually graduated high school late like my last year of high school I was struggling with clinical depression. Okay. So much so, like, I was just sleeping in my bed, like, 20 hours a day. Couldn't be motivated to do anything. Um, and, of course, like, colleges accept students, like, you know, almost half a year out in advance. I had already been accepted to college. Okay. Um, and I actually matriculated into UW-Madison uh, without having graduated high school. Really? But I was, I know crazy right yeah um so they were asking the whole time for like high school transcripts and proof yeah. of graduation which obviously i couldn't provide and i was still struggling with depression so i wasn't going to any of the classes at madison anyway so it's okay. kind of a moot point and i flunked like every single one of those classes yeah that would make sense <laughs> um and then needed to drop out um in the spring semester okay 
And so I was still struggling with depression, struggling to find my way. Um, my parents wouldn't let me come back home. They kicked me out. And I was actually for about a year living in the back of a 96 Dodge Caravan. And this is about the the, the age of like 18, 19? Yep. Like standard kind of college freshman yeah. age. Yeah, I okay. was about 19 years old at the time. Okay. And so... I think my mom was a little more understanding because she struggled with like mental health stuff that this wasn't just like, um, that it wasn't just, you know, I'm lazy or I just want to sleep or something like that, that she was, my dad was more of like a tough love kind of person. And my mom was more like, we need to get him the help that he needs. Yeah. Um, and so they eventually sent me out to, uh, Wyoming Okay. to a youth ranch there uh, oh. called Mount Carmel. Uh, it's a Catholic youth ranch. It's a little similar. Are you familiar with Rawhide here in Wisconsin? I'm not, no. Okay. It's similar to the Rawhide program here. It's like taking, you know, like troubled kids of all ages and kind of putting them into like a cowboy type lifestyle where it's like you're working on a ranch, you're working with cattle and everything else. Interesting. And it's also very faith-based. It's very body, mind, and spirit is like the core of the program. Okay. Um, and after being there for about three to six months is when, you know, I had time again to dig into the word like every single day and to go to church, I guess they would call it mass, Mm -hmm. uh, every week, um, and really help revitalize my faith that I Mm -hmm. think I had been neglecting a lot through high school. Um, and that was a really difficult transition point for me, but, you know, I think, Having gone through depression, it humbled me in a way that I don't think anything else really could have. Yeah. Right? And so then after I graduated the program there, uh, they actually offered me a position to stay on as a mentor to work with their younger adults, so under 18. Okay. Um, And that offered me an opportunity to work with people who are struggling with like depression, academic underperformance, drug abuse, runaways. Okay. Um, and to really see, to invest in their lives and see the incredible transformation that Christ could have mm-hmm. uh, in individuals. Like one of the kids, his um, dad died of cancer when he was like three, and then his mom committed suicide when he was five. Oh, he just wow. had like a lot of hurt and anger. Wow. And after being there for um, about six months, uh, like he would, like someone would drop a Bible on the floor and he would like notice that and pick it up or uh, like he would help other people like tie their shoes if they couldn't tie their shoes, stuff like mm. that. Like just became very, um, a very selfless individual, Yeah, which was in stark contrast to what he was like when he first came into the program. And so then after that, I met up with um, my, at that time, fiance, Rachel. She mm-hmm. was doing uh, grad school at U of M Twin Cities. You guys were engaged while you were in Wyoming? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? We were. Okay. In, so we had been dating close to 10 years by the time we got married. Seven years. Okay. It's like seven years. So we started dating in high school. It's amazing that she stuck through, <laughs> stuck with me through the depression and everything yeah. else. Um, and then we got engaged a little before I went to Wyoming. Okay. And then we were engaged for a couple of years. And then, um, while she was in grad school, that's when we got married. Okay. Had our first kid there. Um, then I went to undergrad at UW Oshkosh. Okay. 
You had all the transcripts this time. Yeah. <laughs> I, by that time, I had finally graduated high school. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Anyways. Um, and then I was applying to medical school. And medical school is just, it's incredibly competitive. You said, you know, you're kind of familiar with that. Yeah. yeah because my your brother. Yeah, my brother's a resident in, uh, yeah. in Des Moines, Iowa. So, um, but y- your average med school program has an acceptance rate somewhere between 2 to 7%. Oh, really? Okay. Um, like the least competitive med schools will have an acceptance rate of about 17%. Wow. So the odds are just weighed against you. It's very competitive. What? Any idea what the, the folks that don't make it in end up doing? Like, do they... So there's uh, something called an MCAT, a medical college admission test, and it's mm-hmm. kind of like what the you know SAT is or the ACT to get into college. It's what. Yeah. what it is to get into med school and like it's kind of used as a way to like decide who could potentially get into medical school like 60 to 70 percent of the people who take the mcat study mm-hmm. their butts off and take the mcat they never get into med school really okay um and so i was applying to med school at the time and i was like really happy with my mcat score but there were of course was like this black flag in my application that i had flunked like every single class sure yeah, that when I was at Madison, that doesn't look good. I imagine. I know, and honestly, like if I were on an admissions committee, Mike, I don't think I would have let myself into medical school just because, like, for every one person they say yes to, they had to say no to like nineteen other qualified yeah. applicants, right? So I was applying um, somewhat broadly to several schools. I got one interview. I was waitlisted and didn't make it. Okay. Um, and it didn't terribly surprise me. But it was like, you know, I felt, I prayed about it. Like, do I want to go through this process yeah. again? And at the time, I was working as a fundraiser for the Republican Jewish Coalition. I don't know if I've told you about this. No, I haven't heard about um, this, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun. My dad's Jewish, actually. Okay. And so um, so I was calling for them. And then uh, one of the people who had pledged $100 uh, we were waiting for uh, a verifier to get on to verify for like a credit card for how they wanted to give money, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I had mentioned I wanted to go into med school. It's like, oh, really? Like, hey, I'm I'm a physician out on the East Coast. I'd be willing to help you out. And we actually ended up connecting. We did um, published um, a couple studies together. He wrote me a really strong letter of application. And I felt like it was that was the kind of divine providence that I think only God could have really, you know, put in my life. Yeah. And I think that was God telling me, like, if you're going to get into med school, it's not going to be on, like, your accolades alone. Like, right. this is me providing for you so that you know that this is where I want you to be. Yeah. And so I ended up applying broadly again. And uh, this time I got, like, eight interviews. And I actually got into my top choice medical school, which was UW-Madison. Okay. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I literally flunked every single class there. Like, there's no way they're going (laughs) to let me back in. Yeah, they'll remember. Exactly. Yeah. Like, they've got those transcripts. But, um, you know, God really provided for me and showed me that even even though there were, you know, a lot of reasons why maybe I shouldn't have gotten into medical school, mm-hmm. that God was there along the way. And I think looking back in retrospect, even though it was tough going through depression, being homeless, you know, needing to apply a second time to medical school, like that took another year out of my life, yeah. right? Um, 
I think it's really helped me to empathize with a lot of my patients mm-hmm. who struggle with mental illness. Okay. Like I said before, humbled me in a way nothing else really could have. Um, and to know for sure that, you know, I wouldn't be here if, you know, some random person I met calling for the Republican Jewish coalition yeah. hadn't offered to give me a helping hand and yeah. help me get into medical school. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. And I like to think of those as like divine interventions. Yeah. There's there's really not any other way to explain it and and in the moment you might I don't I don't know did you feel in the moment like this is God intervening in my life or was that a, I look back on it now and I can kind of see that God's hand was involved there. It was actually my wife who pointed it out. Okay. I'm like, you'll never believe this. Like, I met this guy, like, calling for the Republican. And she's like, so you met a random guy <laughs> who said he was going to give money, and he just offered to help you? Like, doesn't that strike you as weird? And she's like, your life is just so blessed, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. Like, that God provided this for you. Oh, that's really cool that she saw that and was able to point that out. Yeah. So, so let's talk about, you, you mentioned all this has kind of led you to a point of being able to really relate with people that you're serving, because that's really what it is you're doing, right? In, in yeah. the, the medical field, you're serving people, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes those relationships are longer term than others, but, but like how, how do you use where you've been to help encourage um, you know, whether that's somebody that you're actually helping or a family of somebody you're helping, like how does that all come together and how does, how does faith play a part in that as well? Cause sometimes, you know, we're not able to talk about our faith in public places. So I'm just curious to know like how that all comes together for you. So I'll start by saying that uh, fortunately medicine, it's not like you know, being a teacher in a public school where, you know, if you talk about God, it had better just be like a hypothetical and theology class. Right. Um, There is at least like doors that we can open. And as a medical student, that was actually one of the co-leaders for the Christian Medical Association. Mm -hmm. And so we used examples from scripture and read through the New Testament on, you know, miracles that Jesus performed. What can we learn from that? How can we better serve others? You know, we would read from the book of um, Daniel. I don't know how much you remember about Daniel, but um, arguably the first uh, clinical trial in history is in the book of Daniel. Interesting. Yeah. When uh, the Babylonians seized Jerusalem and Mm -hmm. they took back like all the best and brightest, which included Daniel and his three amigos, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, as part of being in the king's court, they were entitled to uh, a portion of the king's bounty, you know, like the meat and the wine, which is right. typically sacrificed to right. like their gods. And Daniel and his friends, of course, weren't akin to that because they were devout Jews. And they said, you know, we're not going to have that. Right. The chief official of the court originally like rejected it. He's like, no, I can't have you looking more sickly than these other ones. You know, you've got to eat this food. And so... Daniel proposed a time-limited trial, and he said, you know, then test us for the next 10 days. Mm -hmm. And um, see, after 10 days of just eating like a bland diet of water and vegetables or whatever, what our appearance looks like after 10 days. And um, I guess they all looked better than their comrades (laughs) because the chief official agreed to let them continue eating that. Yeah. 
But I think it was also a really good example from the book of Daniel of what it means to really be um, in a field surrounded by people who are non-believers and to still have that firm commitment to a faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. um, And to follow, to follow the uh, word of God above all else. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Daniel wasn't afraid to, pray even when he knew he was going to be seen, right? Right. And he knew that even if he was surrounded by people who didn't share his faith in in God, that he was going to uh, continue to practice wholeheartedly. I remember there was a patient I worked with uh, as a medical student, middle-aged lady uh, who found out that she had recurrence of colon cancer. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, stage four. She was pretty much in the end game. She had I tried a couple chemotherapies. Okay. I prayed with her at the time and um, she just told me like how much it meant to her that, you know, we could share that faith together and that she could see how God had actually blessed her with three children that she had had and that she mm-hmm. had had, you know, 40 years or whatever with yeah. her children Yeah. Uh, up until that point. Um, and one of the attendings later told me like, you know, you can't be praying with patients, you know, okay. whatever. When I mentioned this to um, the uh, someone else in the Christian Medical Association, he said, just remember who you're ultimately responsible to. Yeah. You know, and so that's a little bit of how I've incorporated my faith in my practice and why it's important for me to mm-hmm. in the very least be on like a daily prayer schedule before I go to work Yeah, because it's important to not only have like the medical knowledge to care for patients in the best capacity possible, but also, you know, the wisdom, the spiritual wisdom mm-hmm. to really see when people are hurting more than just physically. And I think that those are the lessons that we can take from Jesus is he knew that, you know, you can heal people of their physical ailments, but real healing comes from mending of the soul. Yeah. No, I love that. And that's that's what we're all about as a church, is is helping people have that, that healing of the soul, the transformation of the soul and the heart. Um, I'd love to ask just a question about mental health, mental load, um, mental illness, uh, struggles with, with those things. Because um, you've, you've gone through it. You've, I assume it's something that you always have to be mindful of even after going to a ranch and and doing all that. Um, It's, it's very prevalent in our community and there's probably people listening right now that they struggle with mental health, but they don't necessarily know how to get help or um, they don't maybe even realize they have some struggles. How how would you encourage those folks right now that, that maybe relate with that part of your story? And how would you um, encourage them, tell them what a first step might be if they're unsure? Mm-hmm. What, you know, like what, what would you have to say to them? Well, I'll tell you what worked for me and what didn't work for okay. me. I was literally tried on every antidepressant class that you can think of. I mean, I was on bupropion, mirtazapine, um, sertraline, which is Zoloft, um, duloxetine, which is Cymbalta, a few others that I'm not yeah. recalling right now. Yeah, I'm not going to remember years, any of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, none of them worked for me. And, you know, there are a lot of really good antidepressant medications are, but for like one out of three people mm-hmm. who struggle with depression... 
medications just don't work for them. Um, for me, what really worked was a holistic approach, you mm-hmm. know, and I think that's what really going to the ranch really helped establish is that it was body, mind, and spirit to really help uh, rebalance those neurochemical and neurohormonal imbalances in the mm-hmm. brain that we know are the cause of depression. And we still don't know why, you know, some people respond better to certain medications than others. What I would say, you know, to any listeners who do feel like they're struggling with depression or anxiety um, is to reach out. If you've got a primary care provider, Mm -hmm. like they can help you. Um, If you don't have insurance, the 16th Street Clinic will see literally anybody. Okay. Um, And of course, reach out to friends, family, especially if, you know, you're having really dark thoughts, you know, Mm -hmm. wanting to harm yourself, wishing you were dead, something like that. Yeah. You should see someone immediately. Yeah. And there's even the, uh, is it 988? Is that the number that folks can call? Yeah. Yeah. And they have people 24-7 that can help you or those that you're with uh, answer questions or just talk to you and and help Mm -hmm. you process that. So, no, that's great stuff. Um, what would your hope be um, just for the next couple years of life as you finish up residency and and you want to keep helping patients and and be a blessing to them? What's your what's your hopes? What's your dreams? Uh, what are you what are you looking at? So, my wife and I are still praying about this, and we're figuring it yeah. out. So um, she's not going to be surprised here. You're not about to like drop some sort of a no. spoiler alert bomb <laughs> or anything. <laughs> so I'll say what our plan originally was, was after I finished my fellowship. So um, this is my last year of residency. Mm-hmm. And I've um, matched into a fellowship in geriatrics, which is yep. taking care of folks over age 65 mostly. Mm-hmm. And my hope was to actually launch a, a home-based primary care program yep. back where we live in the Fox Valley. So that's like old school medicine going okay. door to door actually for yeah. like elderly homebound, you know, sick seniors yeah. and providing medical care for them to hopefully keep them out of the hospital. Yeah. Um, she's saying that she likes it here now more than she expected to. <laughs> and she's thinking about sticking around in the area. So we're still trying to figure that out. I still like the idea of having a home-based primary care program as like an integral part of my practice. Spiritually, you know, I like the idea of continuing to, my kids and I do um, like spiritual exercises and they always like to pray before we go to sleep and everything. Um, I like the idea of continuing to do that, you know, over the next couple of years as well. Well, that's awesome. Brandon, I appreciate you being willing to share your story and um, just all the, the different twists and turns and and how it's brought you to this point now where God is just an essential part of, of your life, your family's life, your kid's life, and also how you practice medicine and help people. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's interesting to, to learn about pride as being something that you really felt like you've you've struggled with. But God I is still humbled. struggle. Yeah, but God has humbled you to the point of, of really being in a profession that's all about serving others and putting others first. So that's just really, really cool uh, to hear and, and to see that transition in your life. So thanks for, for being willing to share and uh, come in today. Uh, for everybody that's listening, thanks for listening in uh, to this week's episode of 52 Stories. We'll be back next week with another story for you to check out then. Have a great one.